Hi, my name is Joe Jackson. I'm an interviewer and a broadcaster. And what you're about to hear is one of the 1,400 interviews I did for publications such as the Irish Times, Sunday Independent, Hot Press Magazine, and for RTE Radio 1. How do I know that there are 1,400 interviews exactly? Because I recently digitised all the damn tapes myself. But please remember that many of the interviews were done for the print media and recorded on cassette tapes. So some are, let's say, sonically challenged. But sometimes sonic considerations should give way to historical significance, I believe. And I'm glad to say that at least some powers that be in RT Radio 1 agreed with me on this and broadcast between 2015 and 2018 many of my interviews in a series called The Joe Jackson Tapes Revisited. What follows is one such programme edited for this podcast and minus music, which I can't use for copyright reasons. The full tapes can be accessed at joejacksoninterviewer.com. Either way, enjoy. Hi, welcome to the Joe Jackson Tapes Revisited. And back in 1993, when I set out to interview Christy Hennessy for my Irish Times weekly music interview slot, which at least my mother told me was hugely influential, my aim was simply to try help Christy undo his one-dimensional image in certain circles. Too many people dismiss the man as simply the writer of seemingly lightweight songs, which they're not, such as Don't Forget Your Shovel, as recorded by Christy Moore, and All the Lies That You Told Me, as recorded by Francis Black. Too often forgotten, I felt, was the fact that he also wrote staggeringly honest songs such as The Pain, which told of the death of his father and his own mental breakdown decades later. Likewise, too often overlooked by rock music snobs who might be impressed by such things was the fact that Christie, at heart, was a blues-loving guitarist who played great clawhammer guitar licks influenced by Mississippi John Hurt and who himself was once asked by Mick Fleetwood to play drums in the original Fleetwood Mac. I bet you didn't know that. All of this was the tale I intended to tell about Christie, whom I'd never previously interviewed or even talked with, apart from wishing him well at the launch of his album, A Year in the Life, the evening before we did this interview. But what I didn't expect to hear from Hennessy was yet another tale of an artist who felt, and rightly in ways, that he was being screwed over by certain powers in the music industry. In the Irish Times, I told as much as I could of that story, but I was bound by legal restrictions, and I made certain cuts simply to protect Hennessy himself as I had promised him I would do on the day we met. I still am silenced to whatever degree by legal restrictions, but it's a quarter century later, and Christy Hennessy has, tragically and certainly prematurely, since passed away in 2007, at the age of only 62 from lung disease, which probably stemmed from his days working with asbestos on building sites in London. So now, out of respect to the man's memory and his legacy, and in this sense his hidden history, I'll tell as much of that tale as I can. I believe Christy Hennessy would want me to, if only as a form of moral warning, particularly to anyone who is dreaming of entering the Irish music business, or of being a star. So tell me about this. I may as well set this, the, the fake gold disc. <laughs> I arrived to find you swilling champagne. <laughs> so what does that mean? It's gone. Is that a, what is that sales figure? That's to the shops. Okay? I think it's to the shops. Okay. Yes. That's, that's, I know, I know they change the charts. They don't value, they don't rate the charts on sales to shops. They rate now the charts on sales to the public. That's right. Yes. So, so this is no less valid. No. Because the shops have shown the faith in ordering it. Right. Yeah. So How many? Right. What does um, that mean? Is it a, is I, that a, I think it's, um, it's incredible amount, something like 10,000. I mean, that's okay. some... Okay, so that's what they then award you when, once they get pre-orders of 10,000 copies. Yes, which that's is fantastic. more than Prince, I think, which is incredible. <laughs> he says it so casually. <laughs> he says it casually, but he means it. He says it smilingly, but his two fists were clenched. So you bet, you bet. More people ordered you than ordered Prince. That's him out of way. He can get out of town. <laughs> well, I mean, we can set it in an overall context. I mean, according to your press release, your sale, the sales of the last album uh, rivaled you two here. That's right, yes. now, And we're talking now about actual sales, not order. Figures, no, that's right. right? It's, been in the sh it's been in the charts exactly 12 months. They've just come through. Right. The hustle has gone up this week from 34 to 24. Right, right. So what kind of, have you any idea what kind of figures that means? That's another story now. <laughs> oh, is it? Uh, yeah, well, that they we... haven't told me, you know. Oh, we can go into that later. Right. Because yeah, as far as we can go without being libelous. Right, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, no, it's very important to me because 
I'm very aware that there's a million people reading us in the Times this day week, and there's a lot of young people dreaming your song and wanting to get into the business. Right, and, and I would like to say, be careful here. Yeah, okay, Jen. You know what I mean? Very important. So let's get into that later. Nothing to do with but, me, but just for the aspect alone of, of, them, of somebody doing yeah. that. Christy Hennessy. And before we get back to the interview, let me sketch out a few of the man's biographical details. He was born in Tralee, County Kerry in 1945, left school at the age of 11, became a messenger boy, and then moved to London where he worked on those building sites. Also in London, actually at a disco in Soho, he met his future wife, Gil, and they had two daughters, Hermione. Three years after she was born, Christy had a nervous breakdown, which he talks about in this interview. Then they had Amber Ross and son, Tim. In 1972, Christy released his first LP, the Green Album. Then, 20 years later, The Rehearsal. And in this next quote, my reference to Christie's record label in terms of The Rehearsal Album was Sun, as in S-O-N. Bono's take on the original Sun Records name, and in his case, a subsidiary of U2's Mother Records. Mother, Sun. Get it? Cute, eh? However, Christie had since moved to Warner Brothers Ireland to record A Year in the Life, and the reasons for that we'll get to later. By the way, during this next exchange, I refer to Into Paradise, an Irish band I'd recently interviewed. And my mention of The Flowers was a reference to another Irish band, The Hothouse Flowers, who were the subject of my weekly interview in the Irish Times on that particular Friday morning. Well, I did an interview with uh, Into Paradise, which was very much looking on how they'd been bitten, how they'd been ripped off, how they'd been misled. And uh, I got a great response from people coming up to me and saying that really opened my eyes. Because the music dream is sold to the rock and roll dream in particular is sold to such an extent that it's yes. almost a lie yes so at any time i can kind of tear the scales down off people's eyes let's 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 do it so that's i mean how do you just give me a, a, an immediate response to how you feel about what's going on out there and the fact that you, so many people out there love your work so much that they bought that album for the year and they're now the orders and the, the faith in the new one has given it ten thousand pre-sales immediately what does it, that say to you? It, it, I, I still, I'd love to have a really nice answer for you, Joe. Right. The, the real thing is All that right. I, it's like a dream, the most fantastic dream you could ever dream of. And, you know, and one day someone's going to say, wake up, it was all a dream, you know. Is that the undercurrent? That, is, I, that, is that I, kind I, of nagging at the back of your... I think so, yeah. That, like, the, although it's happened, it's happening, and it's unbelievable, unbelievable to me and my wife, from what we've been through, you know, in the music business, for this to happen. At the same time, my, my dream has come true, but at the same time, a dream can only last so long. You know, there's, there's that to it, I think. You know? But isn't that awareness? Isn't the awareness of that makes you like, I mean, they, it was James Joyce who said, an awareness of death makes you live a more voluptuous life. Right, yes. Isn't uh, that the other, the kind of uh, dualistic way, the two sides to the whole thing? You're go, while you have it, you're going to live it to yes, exactly. absolute degree. Exactly, and I feel that I, I'm... I'm working on writing even more now and right. in, a, in a, right. a more positive way than I have ever done before because right. of what's happening. I feel like that the energy is so strong. Yes. You're tapping into that. I'm tapping into it, yes. Right. Well, so that's I a way to ensure it'll continue. Yeah, well, I hope so. <laughs> Isn't it, though? I hope so, yes. Right, right. But so that's a, even, even if you fear under it that it may, a year in the life, another year in the life may mean you're back. Well, you won't want to camp back where you started. You no, know what I mean? No, thank God. I, I mean, I've yeah. got, at least I got the MS and sure. the Civil War. You know, yeah, and the recognition. And the recognition, yeah. Right, right. But you're ever aware that it may go, and so you're, you're kind of... And obviously you'll be making plans to allow for that. I mean, not just emotionally, but financially, if you can. Yes, that would be the next kind of aim, yeah. to actually make money out of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that if it flops, you don't go the, back to poverty. You don't no, go back exactly. To poverty. That's right. That would be the... The next biggest thing, I think. You know. But is this part of it because you're not 19? I can say that in all fairness. Okay, I'm 47. All right, no, but isn't this part of the fact that those people who get it at 19 do throw it? Like the flowers even said to me in the paper this morning, the first year they were all 20 and they just smoked their brains out and they didn't put anything by. And at the end of the year, they realised they'd written two songs and where do we go from here? Isn't that the difference? Like when you're 47 and you get it, you kind of have maybe more of a handle. Definitely, definitely. I mean... It's, it just frightens me to think, you know, I, I was offered a job with, uh, Peter Green offered me a job with yeah. Fleetwood Mac, because he had Jeremy Spencer and John McVie, and he, he helped me play with um, a blues band, I forget the name from now again, uh, Blues of the Feeling, and he blues said... Blues of the Feeling? Yeah. In London? In London, yeah. Right. And he said to me, uh, I met him in the Ram Jam Club in Brixton, and he said, I'm looking for a drummer, you might be the very man that I right. And I said, the band I'm with at the moment are really good, and I think I'm going to stay with them. <laughs> but I, I don't kind of, I don't regret it, you know, because I would never yeah. have written some of the songs like 
in an, and I, I well, you wouldn't I, have the life experience it would be a different no, life experience a different life experience yeah yeah but yeah. I'm, I'm really glad when i have because of the writing but uh I, I really felt last night was incredibly surreal it was like a Botticelli painting, and I thought you were going to come up out of a shell. <laughs> <laughs> I forget, forget Anya. This is Christy. I, really I thought with the pillars, which I nearly knocked over, I thought a shell was going to open. Christy would come wafting up. You didn't go for that entrance. No. In fact, you went for the opposite entrance because you came in quite soon after, and despite these rather splendiferous surroundings, you started saying words like shite. <laughs> I didn't associate, yes, I understand. <laughs> I forgot about the heavenly surroundings. The heavenly, yeah, and using <laughs> words like that that I daren't repeat in the Irish Times. You were referring to somebody's description of a song. Or was that it? Somebody oh. once said uh, one of your songs that you were oh, about yes. to sing was shite. Uh, well, if you were to fall, uh, when I was out of work at one time and there was nothing at all doing, I put an advert in the corner shop uh, saying, if you wanted a song written for you to come up to the house and I'd write it for a fiver. But that'd be like one verse, a middle eight, uh, no, two verses, a middle eight, and repeat the first verse. And that's okay. That's okay. Great, I love it. So, <laughs> Songs for the people. Yes. <laughs> well, I only needed twenty pound a week because we were living in a house. Uh, my wife's auntie had a, a like a basement flat, and we were living in there, which we had free. So I needed okay. twenty pounds a week to live. Right, right. And right. I needed to write four songs. Right so to that, get that. To get that. Right. And. Um, a manager of uh, a duet came one night and he said to me, I, I want a, a love song for this. I, I, I've got this couple. He said, they're brilliant, they're beautiful singers and I want a love song written for them. And, I, and it was about the most serious thing that I took, if you were to afford it, because he said he'd give me £25 for the song. Right. And I, I took this song very serious. Did he give you the title? No, he didn't. No, he, didn't. Right. he just okay. said to me, I want a love yeah, song. Right. So I thought, if you were to afford it, I was to afford it. And I just sat down and wrote the song. And then he came back and I, I played to him and he said to me, yeah, how am I going to say this politely? He said, I think it's absolute shit. And he said, I'm looking for a real love song. He said, I've obviously come to the wrong man. And he said, you've wasted my time giving me all this. So I said, OK. And I, I said, I'll give it up right. This oh, is wow. Well, I'll tell you, I didn't notice last night, but I bet both your fists were clenched when you were telling us that story. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Weren't they? They were. <laughs> they were. But that must be because, you know, I mean, it's like all the playwrights who are told as they struggle and attempt to de deliver a play that it's boring, it's this, and then fashions change. Right. You know, so, I mean, it must be it, even more gratifying for somebody who was told their work isn't worth a crap. Right. To find that now, uh, like, actually, to me last night when you were seeing that with the daughter, it was a moment of glory. And partly because of the, what you told. Oh, I mean, that really doubles the victory for you oh, and your daughter. Yes. Don't you think? I, I do, yes, I really do. Because as I sing it now and people like it and they play it on the radio, I mean, it means even... I, d I didn't think about that other thing before. That fellow came to the house and yeah. my wife said, I bet you're taking it. I said, I have. Right, <laughs> right, right. Then, taking my cue in part from Scott Walker's wonderful lyric line about a certain fat Marie whose thunder laugh was just a thread from crying, I said that in Christie's voice, there seemed to be a laugh, even when he sang about mental illness. This is what I'm saying about the Jew. Some people might dismiss you as too light because they might misread the laughter and the lightness that's there on the surface. But I hear the duality. You sing the pain. Right. And there's, 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 a, there's still that smile of victory. Yes. But it's being paid for. Right. I mean, isn't that what you're... Is yes. It, is, is, is it, that what you're aware of when you're I mean, I had, uh, I was doing the clubs in London and I think I've done, I couldn't begin to count how many times I went around Liverpool, Manchester, Leeds, you know, uh, London itself, and been away from home and, and, and just doing 150 people a night, you know, that, you know, you know, this, yeah, you know, sure, sure. the kind yeah. of same business, aren't we? Yeah. So, uh, and eventually kind of, I got home after, I think, 20 days being away and just with enough money to live for the time I'd spent and now having to find the next work. Right. For, to cover right. what I'm, you know. Right. So all that money had to go out. And I found myself putting on records, like Al Johnson putting his record on and analysing saying, the trumpet, the sax was wrong. And then that should come up higher there. And if the melody was like, and I started changing the melody. And I was sitting up at four o'clock in the morning, analysing all these records. Right. And I'd drive right. my mum, but my wife, absolutely berserk. And she was saying, like, what are you doing? I said, you know, I just listened to these. And they're not as good as I thought. A lot of them were wrong. Right. You know, Musically. Yes. Yeah, so then she right. got, the, got the, the heavy squad and they said, you know, he's, he's gone. <laughs> you see, that to me is, is a sad story, but, but the wonderful undercurrent is, again, it's a person who's so committed to their vision of music that even when they're pushed to the edge of the twilight zone, 
the music is still the strongest yes. factor. Yeah, I mean, you're not, you weren't seeing elephants dropping in out of the sea no. or something. It was Al Johnson's trumpets were. Yes. Now, if I go on this to Al Johnson's and find his trumpets wear off, are you there? And we'll put another dedication on the next album <laughs> yes. to the shit that said that was crazy. <laughs> Okay, no, I, did, I did work a lot of mental hospitals as well, on and off, right. and, and I appreciated what the doctors, not all of them, but okay. what a lot of them have gone through, which is they're banging their head against the wind because sure. they're given and given and there's, there's not enough response. But I believe that, you know, it's the most underrated illness because you can't okay. see anything, you know, it's, it's just... It's just horrific, you know. Well, when they when they got in the heavy squad, to what extent did they have to? Did they hospitalise you? Well, they, they they wanted to. My wife refused. She right. said she'd keep me in the house and and never and not to go out. And they said, as soon as he goes out, he really needs hospital. He has to be taken to hospital and have proper treatment. And other than other than that, we'll have to come in. Right. She she kind of said, I want to meet home because I okay. really believe the music is going to kind of. So and it was. I was picking up the guitar again and starting to starting to find. Little different pieces that really, I think. Right. She, she so you got your balance back in order I that did, way. Yeah, in, in so you didn't go through the whole because I mean we all have friends, at least I have, who uh, in depression go through the whole kind of ECT pills, all that kind of chemical imbalance and zapping no, pills. You didn't go. She was aware of that. And very good. Very good. Was, you know. Did you shun all that kind of assistance and you and your wife decided that through music and through her love and that you would soldier out of it? I think she decided that. I mean, I was uh, still doing the record bis- business for a long time after that night. And right. Down for months and, and, and carried on. She just played along with it. More you didn't stay in the house then? I stayed in, I, oh yeah, I didn't. Oh, I right. stayed in the house. Oh, I right, just stayed right, in the right, house. Right, you know? right, right, But right. She, she kind of, uh, but I knew what went on in hospitals because I went, uh, I went to go and visit some point because I wasn't too sure if I did have to go in. I started right. looking around and then I started working there. I started cleaning windows there and for a time, you know, because... Um, I don't know, I just felt, uh, it was, there was a draw in there, I don't know what it was. There was a draw? Yeah, you know, there was this kind of feeling as well, well mental hospitals and, and all what went on, and I used to kind of, I don't know, for some reason I started walking in there and doing right. bits and pieces. So was part of you attracted to the idea? Uh, the pain of it, yeah. The, yeah. the pain of that they go through, I just think, they're, you're just thinking mental, I don't know what. Sure. You know. Yeah, but could it be, I mean, there are a lot of people who will go into those places because they find a... F- a fellow community, they find there are other people who are suffering like they are, as opposed to the rest of the people on the street who are pretending to be totally balanced and normal and are probably screwed up when they go home. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes, I so you can look at somebody who's worse than you, or somebody whose pain is deeper, and you feel better. Right. You know what I mean? Well, I do understand. So maybe I can see why some people would not be attracted to it, is maybe the wrong word, but would just feel home. Yes. A sense of, look, just take me there. Right. Yeah. I, 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 I won't be the freak. Right. You know what I mean? That. So there was some kind of pull to all there that. Was, there was a pull to that, but, and I just feel their pain. I thought maybe being in there, I might be able to help some different. Help them. Help them. Sure, you know, because sure, sure. Of, once you go through something yourself, you really appreciate then what other people go through. If they've got to go through it, you, you really want to kind of say, well, if I can help in any way, please let me know. You know, it's that because right, I understand right. your pain. You know? Is that a sincere motive in you still? Absolutely. I mean, if, you know, if when uh, lots of people come up and ask me to do... Uh, Charity things. Right. If somebody says, it's for mental illness, I can't help it, I say it to my sure, daughter, sure. I want to do it, I want sure, to do that. Because sure. it's that something I understand. You know? But isn't this the generating factor behind your work too? The um, nature of your songs? I think so. I mean, yes. you're not writing about the kind of superficial techno flip things that, are, that we're finding in a lot of music these days. You're actually trying to communicate something of worth. I hope so, yeah. But don't, aren't I, you? I am, I yeah. I mean, you have well, a vision. I, yes, I have, yeah. Which, you know, you're not afraid to kind of help people lift themselves through your music. So surely you couldn't, you wouldn't have been right, as you say, you wouldn't be writing songs of that nature if you hadn't paid the price of emotional instability or whatever. No, you couldn't right. possibly no. do that. That's true, Jim. No, I couldn't. You know? Yes. So it's almost like a blessing in disguise if one yes. does say that. It is. I, I, every experience is you can make the best of it, you know. Right, and, and, right. You know. Once you know how to turn it into a positive Exactly. Energy. That's it, yeah. Otherwise yeah. you could go under and, yeah. and, and yeah. stay there, but, you know... That that's really the the key point is is okay. You've had this experience, but like you can come out of this and you can actually make, you know, make use of it. Right. And right. become a stronger person. I love that jacket, by the way. And I love that shift. It's so Irish. Christy and I are talking about mental illness, and he suddenly says he loves my jacket. Anyway, at this point, the interview proper began. Everything you heard so far 
was an organic conversation. So I told Christy I had a set of roughly chronological questions and that I intended to use what we'd said already towards the end of the interview and to start by focusing on his music. We must have listened to the same type of people because um, um, I listened to Robert Johnson, which right. I feel hated terrible to say, like, head on my trail. When did, is this the kind of stuff you listen to in Tralee? Is the one I read that was jazz and blues at home? Well, when, or did when, you discover him later? I discovered him later. Okay. My uh, mum used to sing Irish traditional music okay. and tell stories, but my dad used to play accordion and play jazz. You know, right. American jazz. So on the accord, on, on the box? On the box, you know. Which, Very good. Which was lovely, yeah. Right, right. I mean, he died right. when I was young, but I still remember him playing and, and the songs. And my mum kind of kept reminding me, like, oh, your dad would have done this, and, which was right. great. You know? How old were you? I was only seven, you know, so. Did that hit hard? Uh, absolutely, because that's, yeah. that's the pain, because I said, you know, uh, my sister went across the sea and never said goodbye. You know, well, I was up at the shops, and I had to get something from my mum, and then I ran back, and my sister had gone. And I, and I missed her, and, I, and that, that's kind of an impetus. I'd gone to, it, to England. I'd gone to England. And it's, and Without any warning? No, she said she was gone. All right. The thing is, I, I, just oh, yeah, you weren't minute, there for the I goodbye. I was there for the goodbye, and because okay. the chorus does that in the pain. And Father Scott came round today, blessed the house, and went away. Please leave on the light tonight. My dad has gone away. And so that kind of lived with me. When I was going through the pain, there was lots of... Did you say goodbye to your father? <clears throat> no, you see, because that, that was the... That was, you know, and, and Father Scott, he actually came around and blessed the house, but we right. could, none of us could go upstairs, you, you probably know, Joe, without the light at that time, because you yeah. still, you know, you were yeah. fine. Sure enough. Yeah. So when I was going through that time of six months at home, you know, those things started to go around my head as well, like, you know, so right. that, that became That's the song the out of that. Yes. But tell, how did, you, how did your dad die then like that? Was it a sudden illness? Uh, that he had you... a brain tumour. How old was he? Very he was, young. He was, Forty-seven, I think. Okay, okay. Yeah, my dad died at forty-nine. Did he? Very young. But no, I mean, certainly, I know the pain of losing one's father. Yeah, it leaves a gap in one's psychology. Yes. You know, it'll never ever be replaced. You think not? Well, I don't think so. Right. Right. So, like, your heart is like made up of this, and there's all little gaps. One is leaving Ireland and living in England all those years. There's no little bit to that that will never be replaced. There's an emptiness there. I know. I know. Yes. Did you did you then have a tendency, like many would, to drink or any of that stuff as an escape from the pain when you got older? I, I never drank. I, Did you not? I never smoked. I never taken drugs. Did you not do that even through? No. Even though you were, that's the connection to Mick Fleetwood. I mean, you got off lightly. I did, yes. <laughs> I, did, and I worked in a band where every one of them were absolutely out of their heads and, and, and they said to me, Why? what are you on? <laughs> I was always like... <laughs> How come I feel bad in the morning? They <laughs> do. Yeah, yeah. Say, well, but why didn't you? Why didn't you? Because it was 60s, 70s ethos surely would have been part of the drugs, drink culture, living in England too. Uh, I think it was, um, I had an incredible, uh, besides my dad going, I had an incredible childhood with my mum. Right. I, I had three brothers and five sisters and they all went away and I was left with my mum. And that was Every minute of that was special to me, and it was okay. like I can. I, I, when I go to write a song, I, I just that's the happiness, all right, in most things because I think back to that time okay. and I think, so I can, uh, right? But but how did that then make you not want to get into drink or drugs? I, I think her I, image, uh, I think it was, yeah, like or the happiness, out the of happiness. And she was very happy, and, right. and she told a story. And whenever she said, Are you feeling bad? and I'd say, Yeah, a little bit. Why, what happened? And I'd say, so, so, so let me tell you about a man. Sit down. And she'd go oh, and tell right. me the story. About, and oh, I'd be right. kind of laughing. I'd say, tell me something funny. You know, and then she, very good, very which good. Was, so that's like the power of storytelling, whether it's in songs or voice to voice. Absolutely, yes. So tell me about the musical influences too. Robert Johnson is uh, held on my train and all that stuff is, uh, is heavyweight stuff. Who were the other kind of... Uh, Blue, was it blues-based influence? It was, it was blues. Uh, well, one night, I'll tell you a story, too, if you don't mind. Uh, I, I was out one night, and uh, I'd just come in, and there was loads of people in the house, they were all talking. But I said to my wife, what time is it? Said, it's 8 o'clock, and there was a blues programme, and it's 8 right. o'clock every Sunday right. night for a half an hour. And I used to love this programme, because you know, it was like just a guitar and people singing, you know? Right. On, on, on Luxembourg or BBC or something, or RTE? Uh, it was, no, it was just in England. Oh, in England. I left when I was 15, and then um, this radio was on, there was loads of people talking, so I put my head down to this radio, and there was this fella singing, and it was out of this world, this song, and it just went right through me, it had his voice, the song, it's brilliant. And at the end of it was Leroy Carr, and that's all I got. Leroy Carr? Leroy Carr, and Scrappy right. Blackwell, it was this piano right. player and this guitar right. player. 
And that was all, just the two of them. And it was, um, anyway, this, this lived me for, oh, God knows how long. And next day I was singing the song and that night going to bed, I said, that's a brilliant song, I love it. And you know how something goes yeah, through yeah, you, too, you yeah, know, just kind yeah, of feel yeah. brilliant. And uh, I was with this band uh, called Les Phantoms. It was a funny band because it was like, the Irish was drummer, was a drummer, the bass player was from Australia, the lead guitar was a Mexican, and the rhythm guitar was a English, and um, a Spanish singer. Okay, but then, so, so, so the... I, I said to the, one of the lads, I said, I've heard this song that I'd love to do it, it's by um, Leroy Carr. And he said, what's it called? And I said, I think it's something like Sun. He said, Blues Before Sunrise. All That's right. the one. He said, right. I got it on an album. All so right. brilliantly. I said, I'd love to do it. Do you know what? Yes. Really? Yeah. Isn't yeah. it brilliant? Yeah. Yes, it is. Yeah. So yeah. he played a song for me, and we were all going to sit down and learn this in a, in a blues film. Like, uh, all right. A completely different song. So I'd written a song. That was my first. You had written a song. <laughs> yeah, because I, I, you see. Um, oh, you had you had memorized and recreated. Total, you know. Very good. <laughs> okay, that's great. <laughs> so I said to myself. <laughs> so budding songwriters, listen to the radio with your head turned down this way, <laughs> and people talking all around you. <laughs> okay, so did you then go and explore all that? Because the Fleetwood Mac uh, bass then would have been very, as you say, Jimmy Witherspoon. Robert Johnson, that's all kind of the 60s blues yes. boom. Yes, so I was, I was getting into all that, and uh, my favourite biggest hero of all is Mississippi John Hutt. All oh, right. You know, yeah. and uh, my yeah. Creole Bell, and, and yeah. uh, I learned, tried to learn the claw hammer from him. Like, uh, But he, he's a nod style, because in my Creole Bell particularly, he plays the tongue backwards, right. the claw hammer backwards. Right. And everybody who tries it, my Creole Bell, I love the world. And I can't get the guitar okay, on the same, okay. simply because it goes backwards. How important is the guitar to you? Because I mean, a lot, we live in a kind of time where the music industry focuses on the singer songwriter, or the song, when they focus on a singer songwriter, they focus on the song. And they tend to forget the art of singing and the art of accompaniment and what the music can do to the words that are being sung. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. Like a guitar line can subvert a lyric. Yes. A guitar line, as in Robert Johnson, can add layers more of pain, a howling wolf. Yes. You know, where, yes. where you're listening to two songs almost. Right, exactly. So, so how, how, how important is that to you? I mean, it's vital, as far as I'm concerned. It's vital, right. because uh, if I go, uh, don't go down there, you are going to fall, the guitar would go, Da de da dum, da da de da dum, which to me is the, is the real power. The melody is the kind of lift. Uh, the art, the lift, the harmony on on the right. actual what you're singing. Right. You know? right. So and I wouldn't hear that. I'd go da 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 dum, da da da, forgetting this the musical part of it. I would, right. So I mean, isn't that the way songs really? More people should begin to be listening to songs as as a composition in that sense, rather than what do the words say to me. Right, I, you know? I think so, yes. You, right. you should take it all in, you know. <laughs> Tell me what Kerry Mann played for Sinatra. <laughs> what? What Kerry Mann played for Sinatra? Oh, um, Henry Cotton. Copland? No, Cotton. You know, the Kelly Blues. Did he play for Sinatra? Yeah, he did, yeah. He played in the band. Well, I mean, Sinatra, because how I know this is he's got, his mum's got a picture on the wall of him sitting up this room. Oh, right, thing, you know, right, with, right. The, with the band. I mean, Sinatra could have come there that night and then... Right. You know, <laughs> but he was an absolute superb drummer. He could, right. could do skin deep. Uh, I mean, the original where they go... And change... Right. Actually change right. the tone drum. Right. And still taking all the tones down. Oh, right. And he used to do that right. in our house when he was only a kid. Right. And I mean, I, I was there with him, like, and I used to sit at the side of the bass drum, and you know how it counts four beats or eight beats, boom, boom, you know. Yes. Yeah. I mean, Henry could uh, 16 on the bass right. drum alone, right. and even Very that good. meant a lot to me in those days. Like, right. he's doing this with his leg, you know, and he's doing this with his hands. But... <laughs> so, what was, I mean, that's why, again, I, I wouldn't want to just hook you into words. Like, you're hooked in on the level of the sound of the voice, the blues, the rhythm of the drums, the sound of a guitar. So, I mean, do you think that it's recognised that instead of being of a person who sings uplifting songs or poetic songs or that, you're a musician? I mean, isn't that an important factor that I'm, I'm afraid might get lost in the, the way your image is, has evolved? Right. Do, well, do you I, feel that at all or do I, you think I would no? love, I mean, what you just said, I would love to be called a musician, but in my heart, I don't feel, I always feel like I'm not good enough to be a musician. Uh, that's that's the truth. I always what's like that. Come on, Chris. What's that? I mean, what is that? I, I, is I that... don't know. I, I mean, I don't want to be. My wife would say at this point now, like she said, there's two ways of being big headed. There's one way of saying, oh, I'm not good enough, because that's the kind of a big headed way of like pretending that I'm not being. You know, so you hear people then say, oh, but you are, but you are. Yeah. But, uh, yeah that, <laughs> what am I going to say? She said, no. <laughs> 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 Try the second one. <laughs> 
No, what I'll tell you where I, uh, I, I encountered that is, is any of that, I don't know who the hell I was talking to who brought this up. This is why I love doing interviews, because I learn from them too. That uh, somebody said to me about the longing to create the perfect work of art and the longing to be perfect. <laughs> they, that it's kind of, that actually it was the, the movie maker Ingmar Bergman was doing an interview about Sartre. Right? right, and he said that Sartre had described that as a nativistic relic of Catholicism. Really? Right? There's a nice <laughs> line here. Isn't that Use that for your next album. <laughs> <Yes. laughs> Tell them out there. No, really <laughs> What's your next album called? <laughs> a nativistic relic of Catholicism. <laughs> That's only the opening song. <laughs> uh, but no, but just this idea that when you're raised as a Catholic, you're always told that there's an ideal state of being. And that if you don't reach that, or probably that you won't reach that until you die and join the Lord, that that can have a negative effect on you, that you never come out and say, well, look, it may not be perfect, but it's as perfect as I can make it. And I'm happy with that. So if I'm a musician, maybe I'm not the greatest in the world, but I'm a musician. Now, to hell with the rest of the crap. I mean, are any of those the basis of these feelings where you're going to say... I've never heard that. Uh, have you not? I haven't, but I do not, and I hate to admit it, but I'm afraid I'd have to. Having heard that I've also learned... Right. Yes, very much what you're saying because uh, yeah, I feel that's incredible. Uh, uh, there's an incredible amount of um, sense in what you're saying. Right, right. You know, because yes, I agree with with the Catholic thing because we we're, we're really the idea is that we're all very, very special. But you know, you just don't feel it, do you? So no, I no, I don't, and I think a lot of people don't, and I think I hope it's a legacy that slowly people are losing. So, while holding yeah. it, but 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 while holding on to it, because I mean your songs are are religious, yes. aren't they? Well, I hope so. Yes. No, but they are. I mean yes. the spiritual stroke religious. Right. Yes. Uh, would you call them Christian? Uh, I suppose. I mean, uh, or would you shy away from those labels? I probably would. Uh, okay. I don't know what you call it. Uh, I mean, to me, you know, lonely by was. Um, yeah, because you said that last night. I did. Yeah. yeah. I, I was listening to radio. I listened to a terrible lot of radio. And there was a nun on there saying she was going to write a book on um, all that Jesus did for women. She was going to get all the okay. information and write okay. a whole book okay. for women. And she was just naming out a few things that she'd found. And one of them was where he was travelling one day and he stopped at his house and he, there was a woman and a man outside. And he turned to the woman and said, can you give me a drink of water, please? And the man was dumbfounded. He should have asked him and the man should have asked the woman. Then right. he got the water and he thanked the woman. You know, and which I thought, like, I've always loved Jesus. I always tell him he's a great, okay. a really nice man, a lovely man. But not, he didn't come with any special powers. He worked very, very hard for what he had. Right. That's right. Just been 40 days sucking your brain out. And I, that's why I hope I did that. Dang it, dang it, dang it. And the guitar to find the kind of, the aggravation was going through. Right. You can't get out, there's no way out. Like the devil was right. in. But he did find a way out. And he, bit, he did overcome it. And, uh, but it's too easy. Like, he came here special. And he was given all these gifts. No, he wasn't. We've all got those gifts. And we all have to work very, very right. hard from if we want to achieve what he achieved. So there's echoes of uh, Robert Johnson, Hell, Hell, No My Trailer. I think so, the yes. yes. Isn't there? It is, yes. In, in uh, what you've just described, yes. in your guitar accompaniment to right. that lyric. Exactly, yes. Right. That's I, nice. I like that. I mean, you're taking something from what's supposedly the devil's music <laughs> and putting it into a celebration of the Lord. That makes absolute sense to oh, me. Good, okay. Don't you think? Yes, I do, Joe, yeah. You know? But then, but you, but this is where in the song you say that the Lord was also a ladies' man. Right? People misinterpret that. There is a fear that, and a lot of people that? have already. Have they? Yes, but the thing is, it's right. because he's a ladies' man. Is because you mean he, a, a lady as in empathetic with woman? Yes, that's right. what I meant. That he don't mean he's carousing around with Marian. No, I no, because the, the nun said, "Isn't he wonderful?" You know, I, I love him. The, the nun said because right. of what he did for women. So he was a ladies' man because the women. Loved him for he stood up and said. Uh, well, who has said that? Uh, others are reading it obviously that he was sleeping with or having affairs with women. That that's what it sounds like. Is that's that what people like, have come back to. You? Yes, uh, and we've had a few reports that like that. Uh, oh, well, right. I, I like the song, but I think taking that side of Jesus just do not work. And I said, right. what do you mean what side? And they couldn't talk. They they couldn't. They couldn't, couldn't articulate. No, just right. well, right. you know, I just don't. But that's not what you mean, anyway. Not at all. But no. you see, there are also Christy a, a hell of a lot of women. Feminists who would argue that the whole concept of the church is based on a patriarchal power system in which women have been degraded since the Lord's teachings were abused and turned into Catholicism. Right. I mean, there are those who argue that the whole 
the male power figure. I mean, Liam actually says to me in the Times this morning, when I talk about God and my songs, I'm not saying it's an old man with a white beard. I'm not even saying if it's a man. No. You know what I mean? So there are a lot of feminists who come back to you and say that what Jesus Christ may have done for women has been bastardized by what the church has done to what Jesus Christ did for women. Right. You know what I mean? Yes, I do, yes. Right. Would you see any sense in them if they come back to you and say well, that? It seems like, well, it, I can only agree with them because it, that's, that's what it seems like. You know, yeah. they've had, well, like they're excluded, they can't be They are. I've yeah. I, I got five sisters and two daughters and all my life, I mean, I, I've seen them have to work harder for positions where they shouldn't have worked. Right, for. but they're excluded also by the church in that there is a, the, the huge move against women becoming priests. Which I will... Personally, I find that very, very sad. Right, right. But it's also a betrayal of, if you, you interpret Christ's original teaching as some form of equality towards women, this is a, a betrayal of, of his core uh, beliefs, well, value system. As, as the song was being written to her, that, that, that was being done at the time, was they were arguing about this. So that right. also played a part. In, In the lyric. Yeah, that's very clever. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I've done my homework, haven't I? Yeah. <laughs> well, I tell you, no, most of this is instinctive, and that's why I work with this, because I adore, I adore it. And, I mean, my, my instincts I tend to trust. It was at this stage I asked Christy Hennessy to describe, insofar as he could for public consumption, the ways in which he felt he'd been abused by certain forces in the music business, a subject we'd chatted about before I turned on the tape recorder. The first story he tells about publishing predates his days at Mother Son Records, has nothing to do with the U2 organisation, and it involves a person Christie asked me not to name. The people he himself does name in the following quote. And by the way, I did run some of his allegations by a representative of Mother Son Records and gave that person, Dave Pennyfeather, someone I knew then and respected, a right of reply, which I ran in the newspaper and shall quote later. Anyway, the people he mentions are as follows. Pennyfeather, general manager of Mother Son Records, Ozzy Kilkenny, its accountant, and Peter Price, managing director of Warner Brothers Ireland. At one point, we were interrupted by Warner Brothers publicist Karen Coleman. Yes. Okay, now, face we, we can end up, I don't, I don't want to end up with negativity, but tell me how much you can tell me about your sincerity, I have no doubt about your sincerity and commitment to music. The negative uh, ways you have been abused because of that, as much as you can tell me. Well, I suppose the first thing was um, the don't forget your shovel thing, you know, like uh, not um, having it published. Okay. Christy Moore rang me and said, get it published because I'm going to record this. He, okay. Uh, an album I did in 1974, he picked it up from there. All right. This is the Leprechaun cover, was it? Yes, it was, yeah. <laughs> we won't go into that <laughs> no, one. No, <we're> good. <laughs> <laughs> You're forgiven. Any other time if I wasn't feeling kind, I'd go into that one. All right, go on. <laughs> so, anyway, Christy said he was going to record this, and he said, get yourself a publisher, and I did. I got a few hundred pounds, but that was the end of that. And you got a publishing, a publishing deal? A publishing deal, And yeah. you were paid off once uh, for it? No, they, they sent me, you know, the statements came through, the first statements, and said, like, uh, this song looks like it's going to do well and you should do well out of this. And that was the last we heard of them. So right. we phoned them up and I went through all the procedures and said, we'll have to take it to court. And they said, you can take me where you want to, you know, uh, because uh, I'm changing offices and I, I've run out of money and all this. They changed the Who offices. was this? This is the publisher? Yes. Wasn't Christy Moore now? No, not nothing to do with Christy, because Christy, okay. like, it was just totally right. publishing. You know? The publishers who'd given you this deal? Yeah, gave me the deal. Right. And, you know, well-known publisher, and he published lots of other people. So. Right. And he was managing lots of people as well, you know? Right, but we can't say who he is, obviously. No, All right. I, mean, I okay. can tell you, but he did. Sure, well, tell me who I am. So how much did you get on that? Uh, I think £350. Which all is, told? All told, which I know is just bad. So where then, when Christy did it, and performs it, and it's played, where does all that money now go? Goodness. Wow, yeah, okay. Nice one. People can learn from that. So, um, uh, does, um, and the other song, which Christy did, is that by, a better? Well, uh, Matty Fox asked me to, uh, to publish that with him, and I did. And Messenger now, Boy. Messenger Boy. Right. And now that was only two, what was that, two years ago? Two, two, two years, years ago, ago. Yeah, I see. Right. Yeah. So, but, uh, not three years ago. Three years ago, was, right. yeah. But now I know what I should have got for Don't Forget Your Show, because I have my statements from Matty every... Six months down, all proper. So he was, he, he and Christy made sure it was made all sure above board. Was all above board. And I get my statements and they show me where he's singing it and what he's doing. Really? A breakdown of performances? Absolutely, yeah, which is lovely. And sales? Yes. So uh, uh, any other experience like that? Are there, was there also management uh, horrors throughout the, the oh, 70s, 80s? Unbelievable management. I mean, some of the deals that you can get from those are just unreal. It was, I could have lived quite happily on what I was earning. 
but it was through the management and the oh, right. mishandling of everything and how they see something. And when they, a lot of managers have other people on their books and they use you for a door in, then step you back while another one pushes through and right. you know, right. you're out right. of work and little things like... So all that time when you were doing the stuff like uh, I write your song for a fiver and, and coming near to your breakdown because of your out 20 days or whatever it was, I'll get the figure right later, were other people making profits on you that were not getting to you? There were, yes. Because, right. And, and, right. And, and not even having the foresight. John Peel took me on his show. I've done a, a four songs on his show, which is unheard of in those days. And right. I was fellow sitting down doing right. And I think I did Casey's Week. Right. And he said at the end of it, he said, when music is good, I don't care where it comes from. He said, if it's good, it's good. Right. Which is lovely, you know. Sure. And... He was opening Good backing from someone like him, too. Yes, I mean, who's playing really heavy stuff, and yeah, all, you know? Yeah. And uh, I went to the manager and said to him, you know, John Peel's really interested, and he's uh, producing, and um, they're really interested. You don't have anything to do with him. So, all right. So, and you, Management you, said. Management said. And you kind of, you know, I don't know any better. i got to be guided by uh, this yeah. fellow who knows yeah. the music inside because right. he's told me he does. Right. So right. just because he's a manager, you, you really got to keep on top of the thing and kind of say, does this make sense to me? Isn't the tension that, I mean, if a lot of bands and performers face the fact that managers ultimately are there to protect their own lives first, and maybe if they have a good heart, their artists second. Yes, <laughs> it is true. That's, Isn't it? It is, of course. That's but, and they unfortunately don't always have good <laughs> hearts. <laughs> to say the least. To say the least. I mean, Mary Cochran gave me her story on this too. You know Mary's the, story. Yes. I mean, there's times I get angry because I can't go public with a lot of this stuff and people are continuing to rip people off to, to a disgusting degree. Yeah. Because I think like it all happened years ago. No, you see, that's the, very careful. I'm not going to put out that message that this is all in the past and all the artists are now so aware that this can't happen. It can happen. It can. You know? I, I mean, I joined Mother without even signing. They never signed me. Oh, right, right, so, right. Isn't it, yeah. So how did that work out? I mean, can you talk about that or is there a hassle with them too? No, I, I, well, there, there isn't. My, my daughter went to a record company and she learned the business inside out. You know, she, and, but the thing is, she, she said to me, like, they haven't, they've given you a contract but she said, I wouldn't advise you to sign that. She said, okay. no, and it just, you couldn't sign it. It just didn't right. tied up for life. All oh, right. With very right. little. Right. So this said, was on the strength of what? And Dave, Dave Pinnifer has seen me on Whelan's, do a gig in Whelan's. Okay. And lots of people came along there. It was great. It turned out to be a great night. And I hadn't played here for years and right. years. And Dave came back to the hotel afterwards and said, I want you to make a record for me. Go into the studio, he said, and put some of your songs down. He said, okay. I'm to make a record. All right. And I said, Really said yes, and right. I, he said, "Pick your own musicians." Which is, I mean, I'm sure, I know, it was brilliant. You were what, so, 45, 45, 46? Uh, this this is two years ago, wasn't so it? You were yeah, 40, 45. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, I said, knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door. You know, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then I opened it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so then, uh, my daughter read the contract, and she said, "This is not answer." She picked out 54 faults in it. I'll never forget Good it. Good And send it back. Right. And they said, they laughed. They said, 54 faults, you must be joking. Do you want to go ahead with the album while we sort this out? And, okay. and I said, my daughter said, go ahead with it. Because sure. they'll never get sorted out. At least you have an album behind right. you. So anyway, I went in with the album. Still no contract. And she started getting worried because of the next album coming up. And where was the money going to come? How were they going to tell us how many records were signed? Right. How, how were they going to Because it would be, a, this was this an ever-evolving contract which was to be sorted out, so nothing could be clarified. Nothing could be clarified. So right. therefore you've got, right. you know, you've got now right. the problem started. We had the album because it's out now. And then, we, then her, my daughter said, now before it goes out to the shops, we need to sort it out. And they said, well, we're going to release it next month. And they came back with another contract which had 52 for us. They didn't really change anything. God, Lord. So right. she sent it back in, and the record came out, and the, the rest is history, you know, a year and the... Right, you know. right. And then it, but what's the outcome? I mean, have, have you gotten from the sales of this record everything that's due to you? Well, I don't, I don't know, because they haven't told me how many it's sold. Oh, that's the other story when I asked you that's earlier. That's the other story, yeah. That, and, and it was like, right. um, Peter Price right. came up to me and congratulated me on the Ambers, uh, and then Isaac came and said to me, what did he want? And I said, he was congratulating me. He said, yeah, but what did he want? And I said, he, he really did. And he, Peter did. He just congratulated me and walked away. He didn't have anything to do with it. As he thought he was approaching he you did, to steal yeah. you. And he said, we have to get things on the table signed. And I said, fair enough. We were delighted. 
because Peter hadn't offered me anything. So, right. and I, funny enough, I really liked Peter when I met right. him. I really felt that this yeah. fella is a. I saw the dedication on the CD. DJ, he's a very genuine man. Okay, another an hour. Okay. But uh the uh, Peter didn't say anything, but I really liked him. I you know how you get that yeah, feeling sure. like when you meet somebody. And uh, as I said, we had to get some material. But so my daughter met him in London with Dave because it was getting urgent now. Right. He, as they found it was getting urgent. Right. And the next album was. They called. saw they were onto a winner. I think they did. Yeah. They weren't a hundred percent sure at that right. time because we knew right. at that time it sold eighteen thousand. I think by that time. Okay. And now they were starting to think this could go on or it could just drop. Yeah. Yeah. And so they were starting to get a bit edgy. Then they met her in London, and uh, I was waiting at the phone, like on, I'm just saying up. Oh, Please, if there's anybody up there, please. Well, I know there's someone up there. Sure. I said, can you please help? And I can have to say the right yeah, things. Yeah, and, sure, know, sure. For this to happen. Anyway, she found up absolutely in tears and said, like, uh, they, they more or less, Dave was like Dave, but he didn't have the power. Because Dave really believed in me, you know. Okay. And he still does. Okay. Right. Um, because he's from me. He told me he right. does. Okay. So um, my daughter said, we've got two options. We can sign that. Or she said, do you know a man that you, you know how she said, when you get this kind of, thing where I really like that man and you can't stop talking about him. Yeah. She said, you know Peter Price is the head of one? And I said, is he the head? And she said, yes. She said, do you want me to approach him? And I said, yes. I said, if they don't want to sign that thing properly, but then, no, if they don't want to uh, amend that thing, then approach Peter Price. So she went to Peter okay. and Peter said, I would have to have a lot more evidence that they don't want you. Because they said, I, you know, this is a small country. Sure, don't you don't want to make a war. Yes. So I, I don't like this fascism within the Irish music industry. And I know who's fascistic in it. It's, yes, in a, it's not just a small town. There are kind of metal fists hovering over it. Right. So right. You, you have to be very careful. And I'll be equally careful when, we're, when I'm writing this. Oh, but but, but how, it, it has ended now with you still in negotiation about what is owed to you for the yes, last album. it has, yeah. And have you gotten anything? We, would have uh, got... we got a few hundred quid, I think, again. I, I, I wouldn't... All right. I mean, I'm not exactly... Okay. Much, but okay. It's, it's only but, nothing. I mean, but we still have no statements because if we got a thousand pounds, it would be fantastic. We still don't know if I've earned three thousand pounds because I mean, because right. we've got no figures. Right, right. And when you did you originally sign that first cut? You never. No, did. I never signed it. So like you don't know what your 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 advance, your percentages, composer, no. all that stuff is. The, the, there's nothing to say about right, right, what composers right. right to get. Us. I hope we can put as much as this on the line for for would be um, performance because you see the other part is the song. Your song about would-be performers and I'm a star and right. has, has, as I read, I believe in the um, press release, I believe what it says, uh, that it's inspired dreams and given people something to clutch to their little hearts as they soldier through a similar right. journey, right? But the other side of that is that it's given similar people an illusion. Yes, that's the dangerous venture, yeah, you're right. You know? Yes. Because on, yes. you're the one in a million. Right. And that's something they all have to remember. Right. There is not room for another million like you. Yes, you're right. I mean, that's, that's an incredible point. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. So it's as well for them to remember that, that behind, the, they will sing your song and it's not your feelings they're expressing, it's their own through your song. Yes. But it would do them well to look at the subtext. Right. But isn't that, I mean, isn't that the thing you know and you must have had people come up to you about that song and say, that's exactly how I feel, struggling oh for my, my dream. Oh my goodness, yes. Yeah. yeah. Poets. Yeah. Yes, in, in, in all walks of life, you know, they're, they're kind of, they're saying it, not just in music. Right, right. Just the other day down uh, Grafton Street, a, a girl came up and said, I've been writing poetry for years, and she said, and then I just put them on the draw, and I thought, I send them off to poetry, and I send them back. But uh, she said, hearing your song is just, you know, I, I feel I've written the best poetry ever. You know, she said, I great, want to go great, on and on. Great, great. Okay, so it's of primary importance. See, the difference is, and it's something I've always been aware of as a journalist, I want to inspire people to dream but I also want them not to suffer from illusions. It's, and I, I think that's the responsibility that, that we have to recognise. Right. Yes, and you do. I do now, yes. I mean, even more so. You know? And to be really honest with you, I sure. would have liked to say that I knew this, I recognised before, but I, I didn't give it as full value as I do right now. Right, right, right. So. That, that the thin line to walk is between believing in a dream and yes. not falling into the pit of illusions. Yes. Yeah. And, and it is a very thin line, isn't it? So. Yes, it is. Yes, it is, yeah. Okay, the following is the statement that Dave Pennyfeather gave me in response to Christie's allegations. 
We bust a gut working on Christy Hennessy at Mother and did a textbook job on taking him from having no status to the status he now has, and I personally worked on every level of that. Part of this process was that he got advances, equipment, flights and hotel bills paid for, and above all else, the production costs of the album, The Rehearsal. It will have to sell a considerable amount before it breaks even. Christie must have gotten near enough to everything he can expect from the album. He got a detailed statement six months ago, hence his comment about the 18,000 sales, and he'll get another statement shortly. As for his claim that there were more than 50 faults in the contract we offered him, there is a degree of amendment made to all contracts and we acknowledged some of his requests. He may say we didn't go far enough, but we did everything on trust and as an act of faith in Christie. Yet when another contract came that offered more money, he went for a different deal. And by the way, while I was preparing this show, Hermione Hennessy told me that Christie was, she said, a forgiving man and that he and Pennyfeather and Kilkenny had long since made up before her dad died. That said, let me get back to the subject of how spirit-crushing the music business can be, though in Christie's case, ultimately, it obviously wasn't. He told me a story about what he called the biggest night in his life two years earlier when he played a gig at Dublin's Olympia Theatre. One industry person, whom again, for legal reasons I can't name, came up to him and said, congratulations. Hennessy told me, he then said to this person, do you really mean that? And the person in question replied, no. Then added, allegedly, because you'll never again work in this town. So really enjoy tonight. He said that, he said. Yeah, he said, this is like two hours before I went on stage and I thought, and my daughter held it like, and she was in pieces. I thought... You know, that's real, that's real sad, I think. He, he's the sad one, not me. I went out and uh, these people paid £10 to come in and there was no way at that night I was going to... to... And that kind of statement and comment, two more minutes. That kind, of, that, that, that kind of, I mean, that person deserves to be exiled to Siberia, you know, with whatever musician he hates most playing music. I've made lots of excuses for him over that job, which it's just really sad. I no, that's a, sad that's, a meanness, that's a meanness of spirit that's unforgivable to me. Yes. So we did actually say that about uh, if, if in, in a life in the year, a year in the life, a life right, in the yeah. year. If in another year in this life it is over, you know, do you think you will finally, your, your, your romanticism and idealism will finally be broken? No. It couldn't be at this no, stage. I don't think so. Right. I, right. I mean, that's my true answer. I, I right. honestly, I would go off onto another song. Is, a, is another achievement for me, and and therefore that right. song alone. That's the know. verification of yes. everything. Yes. Right. Right. And what's the ultimate quest? Hopefully, to just. Um, well, I don't. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> really answer. I mean. The ultimate quest is to answer the question of what the ultimate quest is. Put that in here. Yes, please. <laughs> Funny enough, it's like that's part of how I feel, which is lovely, you know, because it's like. The eternal quest. Yes, it is, isn't it? I then told Christy Hennessy that I used the phrase The Quest because it's part of the title of a song otherwise known as The Impossible Dream, one of my lifelong theme songs. Christy said he loved it too. And this led to a quote from him that is infinitely more appropriate now that the man has passed on. He was a man who tried. Thanks for listening and good night. You know, uh, now as yeah. much as people have sung that to death, yes. I still believe in that song. There's something in there, you know, and I, I, I relate it to my life. Like people relate, you know, that, right. that there's something. And maybe at the end of it all, you're battle-scarred and weary and that, but someone will say, at least you tried. Yes. You that's know, that's what I want to my to Is it? He's tried his best. No, that's but isn't that what it's about? Hi, Joe Jackson here again. I thank you for listening to this edition of the Joe Jackson Interviews podcast. More can be heard on my website, joejacksoninterviewer.com.